0: Well, my name is Gerson, and if you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here this morning. If you're watching on the live stream, we're so glad that you joined us. Um, at this point in our gathering, we come to a time of prayer, where we call it a pastoral prayer, but we hope and pray that it's not just a pastor praying, but it's all of God's people joining together as being led by one of the pastors to pray for various things. We we come and we we intercede on uh, behalf of one another and behalf of things going on in our nation and uh, things going on in our city. And, and then sometimes we pray for things uh, from a with a, a global kind of perspective. And that's what we're doing this morning and kind of um, consistent with our, our sermon series right now. We're praying for global missions. We did the same last week and we'll Uh, do the same next week as well. And uh, if you haven't gotten one of these, these are uh, our little kind of prayer sheets uh, for for global missions. We have some unreached people groups on here that you can be praying for, some missions organizations, some specific missionaries, and and other things that you can pray, some tools and resources for prayer, and we we hope that you'll take advantage of this. But uh, I prayed this morning uh, in my own personal prayer time for a, a people group, on this list, the Badawi, Bija people in Sudan, and uh, they are uh, Muslims, and there are about two million of them in Sudan and kind of spread out in Eritrea and um, in other areas in, uh, near the Horn of Africa there. Uh, and so we want, we want to pray for them, we want to pray for uh, some missions organizations, and we want to pray for our own local church to be uh, kind of caught up in this global story that God is telling where all the nations are going to one day glorify him and enjoy him forever. And so let's take time to pray to that end now. And Father, we, we confess to you now that you are supremely glorious, that you are worthy of the Honor, glory, and praise of every mouth that you are worthy of the ultimate loyalty and affection and allegiance of every heart, that you are worthy of the enjoyment and gladness of every heart, and you bring gladness and joy to those who worship you in a way that nothing else can. You satisfy in a way that nothing else can, and so we long. For all the nations to know you, that they might enjoy you and be glad in you and sing for joy to you. And so we lift up the Badawi uh, Bija people now in Sudan. And we pray, Father, that you would raise up uh, prayer teams throughout the earth amongst your people who would pray on behalf of the Badawi Bija people with regularity and consistency and perseverance and faithfulness. And we pray, Father, for the completion of evangelistic materials to people who speak this language, including the Bada'i Bija people. We pray that you would uh, help those who are working on those to be filled with the wisdom and, and with the Holy Spirit that they might produce these materials in ways that are effective, in ways that are properly contextualized to this people group. We pray Holy Spirit, that you would grant favor to missions agencies like, uh, like the IMB and like Frontiers and like uh, the, the, the Pioneers, that you would grant uh, favor to these missions agencies currently ministering to this people, that you would give them favor with the people so that they might hear and believe the gospel and obey the gospel and worship you with glad hearts. And Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to soften the hearts of this people toward those Christians who are witnessing to them so that they'll be receptive to the truth of the gospel. And would you implant the seed of the gospel into many hearts among this people group for the sake and glory of your name? And we, praise, we pray that you would raise up a strong fellowship of believers and multiple churches to be planted among this people group, that many would be baptized and congregated together so that they might lift up their voices, and one collective voice for the glory and honor of the name of Jesus Christ, the preeminent one. And we pray all these things, knowing, Father, that there are those of us here who might be called to go. And so we pray that you would help us to be a faithful, sending church, that you would help us to appropriately pray and raise up financial support and and do everything that we need to do in order to be a, a faithful sending church. And we pray that there would be three to five individuals or households in our church who would sense that call to go. And that they would be sent from this church, supported, bathed in prayer, that they might be a witness for your glory, that they might be like that seed that dies in the earth but then bears much fruit. Lord, we pray these things knowing that the end for them all is the glory of your name that all nations be glad in you. The chief end of our lives is to glorify you and enjoy you forever. Help us to live consistent with that aim, that goal, that chief end all the days of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, church family, if you want to open up your Bibles to Psalm 67. Psalm 67, we are looking at the psalm for three weeks in a missions series and uh, we have some kind of uh, just unique, uh, a unique kind of a, approach as we're going through the series as we're looking at a particular missionary and their kind of biography and we're, we're talking about them, we're drawing on their life for illustrations and quotes and, and just a faithful examples of how to live in light of what this text says. And uh, so we'll be continuing that. Last week, we looked at Lottie Moon. This week, we'll be looking at a a, a pastor, missionary named David Brainerd. And uh, so let's let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll read the text and get into it. Father, we ask for our hearts to be softened, our eyes to be opened, our ears to be unstopped, so that we might hear your voice. Speak, O Lord, as we just sang, because your servants are listening. Help us, Lord to be open to whatever you have for us this morning and help us, Lord, to to see Christ and his glory and his goodness in this text so that we might have an experience of his goodness and glory, that we might taste and see that he is good and then be drawn into him and sent out to tell of his goodness and glory to a broken and dying world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 67, verses 3 to 5. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, let's listen with reverence and joy. We'll read the entire psalm, but we're narrowing in on verses 3 to 5. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Well, David Brainerd was born April 20, 1718, in Haddam, Connecticut. He died just at just 29 years old in Northampton, Massachusetts in the home of Jonathan Edwards. Edwards would then, after Brainerd's death, find his diary, his journal, and he would edit it and add commentary and then publish it as a well-known and well-loved book called The Life and Diary of David Brainerd. And this book would go on to influence many, and perhaps even be the the spark that ignited the modern missions movement. William Carey, who's often called the father of the modern missions movement, once said of Brainerd, let us often look at Brainerd in the woods of America, pouring out his very soul before God on behalf of the perishing heathen. Many of those who would go on to give their lives for the sake of missions did so following Brainerd as Brainerd followed Christ, not just William Carey, but others like Adoniram Judson, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, John Wesley, David Livingston, and more would testify to the formative impact of David's, David Brainerd's diary. Actually, I wanted to name one of my children Brainerd after David Brainerd, but for some reason, Amy was just not cool with it. I don't know why. Um, so there's an available name for some of you who have yet to have kids. Um, some good nicknames go along with that name. Uh, Brainerd spent the last eight years of his life as a a missionary to Native American tribes in Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. He grew up in Haddam, Connecticut. His father was a a severe man, uh, being very hard on little David. By the age of 14, though, both of his parents died, and he went to live with his 19-year-old sister. From an early age, Brainerd was very disciplined and rigorous in his religious observance, but according to him, it was actually all without a a true work of grace in his heart. With that, he was incredibly uh, self-righteous, kind of uh, continuing to struggle with a, a critical spirit, something he even struggled with after his conversion, I think. He was very disciplined though, even prior to his conversion, very regular, disciplined in prayer and fasting. He read through the Bible twice a year. He attended worship on the Lord's Day each and every week, uh, listened closely to the sermons, sought to apply them to his life. But according to him, it was all without a true conversion to Christ until July 12, 1739 at the age of 20. He records that day in his diary with, with vivid language, which we'll see in just a moment. But he ended up sensing a call eventually to go into Christian ministry. And in those days, if you wanted to be ordained as a pastor, you had to go to Yale University. And so Brainerd went to Yale. And during his time there, there was a, a good deal of conflict between the students and the, the faculty and staff. The students, along with many in the American colonies at that time, were experiencing a, a true revival, a genuine revival. And in turn, uh, you know, the the, the, the faculty and staff of Yale, they were critical of this revival. And in turn, because of that, the students were uh, critical of the staff and faculty, often claiming that the staff and faculty didn't have a a work of converting grace in their own lives. And in this spirit of criticism, Brainerd followed. In a prayer meeting with a, a staff member named Chauncey Whittlesley, Brainerd attended this prayer meeting, and Whittles, Whittlesley prayed this long, kind of flowery, kind of prayer. And, and Brainerd, uh, kind of disgusted with this, the emptiness of it. He was later heard saying in the hallway, "Chauncey Whittlesley has no more grace than a chair." And we'll just have to assume that in the mid 1700s, that was a sick burn because. Uh, <laughs> He was expelled uh, from Yale because of this. Two ministers, one being Jonathan Edwards, went to bat for Brainerd, tried to get him reinstated, but all to no avail. For a long time, he lamented and owned his responsibility for what took place. He confessed and lamented his own critical spirit and self-righteousness in times to come. But it was also a wonderful gift. It was a wonderful gift in some ways because... By God's providence, this is what led to Brainerd being called to the mission field. A Presbyterian minister by the name of Jonathan Dixon went to Brainerd and encouraged him to go to the mission field amongst these nearby Native American tribes and to give his life to serving them and preaching the gospel to them. Having already kind of sensed a a call to missions in college, Brainerd took his friend's advice. He was commissioned by the Presbyterian church, he got on his horse, and he rode to the the Housatonic Native Americans about 20 miles northwest of Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Later, he would get transferred to Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Now, there's something you need to know about Brainerd. The man suffered deeply. He suffered deeply. He suffered in ways some of us can't even imagine. And I could talk to you for a long time just about the ways in which he suffered, but for the sake of time, I'll just look at two. First, Brainerd suffered from severe depression. I mean, Edwards later commented in, 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 the, in the diary that he didn't even know until he read Brainerd's diary. During Brainerd's life, he, he just kind of chalked it up to a, a minor spiritual struggle. But when he read Brainerd's diary, he, he saw the sort of physiological and medical issue that it was. And, and, and one of the earliest entries of Brainerd's diary, he writes this, he says, I was from my youth somewhat sober and inclined rather to melancholy. And truly, that's, that's putting it lightly. That's an understatement. The man suffered from severe clinical depression. He goes on to remark on how even from early childhood, he wasn't really interested in playing. He just didn't even want to play. He didn't want to interact with other kids his age. Even in his teen years, he talked about how he didn't really have any interest in a social life. If you go on to read many of his entries in his diary, you'll see some of the darkest, most gut-wrenching descriptions of utter despair and sadness. Almost 30 times in his diary, he wishes and prays for death. He was severely, he suffered severely from depression. And also, he was persistently in pain and suffering from sickness. While at Yale, he got tuberculosis And he suffered from it for the last eight years of his life. In his diary entries, he'll he'll describe days where he just coughs up blood all day. Other days, he describes or he'll write that he's in such pain that the tribe that he was sent to preach the gospel to will need to carry him home, lay him in bed, and he'll just lay in bed all day in utter agony with so much pain. He'll describe having such a heaving cough that he just vomits continually again. And again, all this, and he lives in the woods on his own in a, a little hut he built for himself, eating nothing but boiled corn and something called pasty. We could speak of, of more. He's, he's, he's just, he was remarkably lonely. It's severe external hardships. He, there's, there's much, much more. He suffered much in his life and as a missionary, and with that, we can begin to wonder what kept this man going what enabled him to remain true to his calling as a missionary to these unreached tribes, these unreached people groups, especially in the midst of such hardships, such depression, such pain and sickness and loneliness? What kept him going? Well, I think you find the answer to that question in his description of his conversion. He writes of that day. He says, July 12, 1739, As I was walking in a dark, thick grove, unspeakable glory seemed to open to the view and apprehension of my soul. It was a new apprehension or view that I had of God, such as I never had before, nor anything that I had the least remembrance of. It appeared to be divine glory and splendor that I beheld, and my soul rejoiced with joy unspeakable to see such a God, such a glorious, divine being And I was inwardly pleased and satisfied that he should be God over all, forever and ever. My soul was so captivated and delighted with the excellency, the loveliness, the greatness, and other perfections of God that I was even swallowed up in him. Thus the Lord, I trust, brought me to a hearty desire to exalt him, to set him on the throne, and to seek first his kingdom, i.e., principally and ultimately to aim at his honor and glory as the king and sovereign of the universe, I felt myself in a new world. I wondered that all the world did not comply with this way of salvation entirely by the righteousness of Christ. Mm -hmm. Edwards would write in Brainerd's diary, Lord's Day, July 12, 1739, forever to be remembered by D.B. You see, that's what kept Brainerd going in the midst of his suffering and depression and sickness and loneliness was this joy unspeakable and the glory of God, this hearty desire to exalt him, to principally and ultimately aim at his honor and glory as the king and sovereign of the universe and wondering why all the world did not comply with this way of salvation. Later in his diary, he would write, "My heaven is to please God and glorify Him and to give all to him and to be wholly devoted to His glory. That is the heaven I long for. That is my religion, and that is my happiness." You see, his ultimate aim was the glory of God. And my friends, that's not just Brainerd's ultimate goal and aim. that verses three to five, Psalm 67, is the ultimate aim and goal of missions. That is the goal of missions, the glad-hearted worship of God by all peoples. And that's our big idea this morning, the goal of missions is the glad-hearted worship of God by all peoples. And we'll unpack that by looking at the global goal of missions and the personal propellant of missions, the global goal and personal propellant of missions. First, the global goal of missions. Last week, we saw the psalmist begin with the request of the blessing of God among his people so that his way and his salvation may be known across the globe in every nation. And this week, we see the goal of that in verses 3 to 5. The psalmist continues to pray, asking the nations to, asking God for the nations to be glad and sing for joy under the saving rule of God. In verse 4, the saving rule of God is what the psalmist is speaking of when he writes, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. He's not just simply talking about God's kind of general providence over with which he he oversees the nations of the world. It's it's referring to, as, as John Calvin put it, to his special jurisdiction over those gathered under his sway. It's speaking of his saving rule over his people. It's speaking of the arrival, the arrival of his kingdom. It's speaking of his special shepherding over his omninational flock. And this kingdom has come in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has ushered in the, God's saving rule over the entirety of the world. He has purchased by his own death on the cross the redemption of a people from every nation and tribe and tongue. He was raised three days later to inaugurate the new creation in this world. He ascended into heaven 40 days later to be seated on the throne of heaven and earth. And now, as the enthroned king of the universe, God the Father has invested in him all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Therefore, he has sent his people into all the earth to declare the saving rule of God Almighty and how it has come in Jesus Christ. And it's this saving rule of which the psalm is speaking of when he talks about God's judgment with equity and his guidance over all the earth. And it's this that causes the nations to be glad. And sing for joy, to find their hearts true enjoyment and satisfaction in the living God, to find their happiness and joy in the presence of the living Christ in his kingdom. The psalmist himself has experienced something of this happiness and joy, and he longs for the nations to experience it as well. And so this request is, is bookended with a sort of the sort of refrain of this psalm found in verse three to three and five. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you praise you. Let all the nations of the earth, all the people groups, all the tribes, all the languages, all the tongues, worship the one true God. And just as we saw last week, the request for God's blessing having come in the reality of Christ, in the same way, this request for for all nations to glorify God will be answered. We find the ultimate fulfillment and answer of this request In Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, there the the Apostle John describes this stunning scene. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, my friends, that is where history is headed. That is the ultimate aim and goal of all of human history. And that is the aim and goal of missions. Why do we want to be a sending church? Why do we want to be a church that that sends people to the nations? Why do we want to be a church that sends three to five individuals or households to the nations? Why do we want to set apart portions of our budget to give to missions? Why do we pray for unreached people groups and that, that, that have yet to hear and believe the gospel? And there are a number of, of ways that we can answer that question. There are a number of, of appropriate ways that we can answer that question. One, one, we long for those people groups to not go into eternity without having heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One, 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 another one is, is, is that Christ will return after all nations have the gospel preached to them, as we see in Matthew 24, 14. So we long for the return of Christ. We want to tell the nations and hasten that day. Another might be that, that, that we look at all the nations of the earth and we see the corruption and injustices and, and wickedness. The gospel transforms societies and peoples to make them more just. And righteous, we want nations and unjust governments and systems and structures and and wicked rulers to be transformed by the arrival and permeation of the Christian gospel. We might answer in, in any of those ways, and that would be appropriate and good. And yet, none of those reasons is the ultimate reason for missions. None of those reasons are the ultimate aim and goal. The ultimate aim and goal of missions is that all peoples of the earth would worship God with glad hearts. David Brainerd was a Presbyterian. He would have been well familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The first question and answer of that catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. And, and because of that, we might say that the chief end of missions is that all nations of the earth would glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper hit the nail on the head when he wrote this, missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Another John, John Stott, once said this, the same spirit, the greatest incentive in all evangelism is not the need of human beings, but the glory of God, not that they shall receive salvation, but that they shall give God the honor that is due his name. You see, according... To Psalm 67, verses 3 and 5, this is the global goal of missions, that God would be glorified and enjoyed and honored as the one true king. And that's what drove David Brainerd in the midst of, of his suffering. That's what so compelled him. He wanted to see these tribes rescued into finding their gladness and the glory of God. And to be frank, if you go and read his diary, which I'd, I'd recommend, but if you go and read his diary, one of the defects that we see in Brainerd's character is that he lacks a sort of compassion and affection for, the, for his people as he ought to have had. At one point, particularly dark day, I guess, he says his soul couldn't even stand to be around him anymore. He, he, he didn't love them in the way that he should have, and he speaks about a struggle to, to love them multiple times throughout his diary, and yet a zeal for and enjoyment of the glory of God will cover a multitude of sins, and we see this in Brainerd's life. Like the the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, 16, Brainerd's spirit was provoked within him when he saw the idolatry of these tribes. He became ardently jealous for the glory of God. He was utterly captivated by an aim and goal to see God glorified and enjoyed. And he even got to see it realized in measure. Later on, when he was stationed in New Jersey, he actually got to plant a church of about 130 people, the first church in North America, of predominantly Native American people. And at one point, he describes this beautiful scene of a young woman first trusting in Christ and the joyful worship she overflows with. Listen to this. He writes, Lord's Day, March 9, preach from Luke 10, 38 to 42. The word of God was attended with power and energy upon the audience. Numbers were affected and concerned to obtain the one thing needful. There appeared to be a powerful divine influence in the congregation. The place of divine worship appeared both solemn and sweet and was so endeared by a display of divine presence and grace that those who had any relish of divine things could not but cry, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. After public worship, numbers came to my house where we sang in discourse of divine things. The presence of God seemed here also to be in the midst of us. While we were singing, there was one woman who, I may venture to say, was filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory and could not but burst forth in prayer and praises to God before us all with many tears, crying sometimes in English and sometimes in Indian, Oh, blessed Lord, do come, do come. In this ecstasy, she continued for some time. And when she had a little recovered herself, I asked her if Christ was not now sweet to her soul whereupon turning to me with tears in her eyes and with all the tokens of deep humility I ever saw in any person. She said, I have many times heard you speak of the goodness and the sweetness of Jesus Christ, that he is better than all the world. But oh, I knew nothing what you meant. I never believed you. I never believed you. But now I know it is true. The sweet and surprising ecstasy appeared to spring from a true spiritual discovery of the glory, ravishing beauty, and excellency of Christ. You see, that's that's the goal. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let all the peoples praise you, oh God, let all the peoples praise you. Oh, that we would be zealous and jealous for the glory of God, that we would be burdened by the fact that there are peoples all over the earth who are not worshiping the one true God with glad hearts. That's the goal of missions. And that's what we ought to be zealous and jealous for in the earth. But now, my friends, that brings us to our next point, The, the personal propellant of missions. Because you see, the global goal of missions is the glory of God. The nations worshiping God with glad hearts We'll never be captivated by by a, a goal and vision such as that unless we ourselves are so captivated by and glad in the glory of God. We'll never seek the glory of God and the gladness of the nations through missions properly until we ourselves experience our own heart's gladness in glorifying and worshiping our glorious God. You see, the psalmist was zealous and jealous for the glory of God and the gladness of the nations because he himself had tasted and seen the goodness and glory of God. And so that's what he wants for the nations. The same could be said for Brainerd. And if we are going to be a missionary church, if we are going to be ascending and a going church, the same must be true for us. Before we are those who spread the good news of the glory of God throughout the world, we ourselves need to be amongst those in the nations who are glad and sing for joy to the praise of God. You won't pass on. We won't pass on what we don't have. We won't be jealous for others to experience what we ourselves have not experienced. Last week, I alluded to a reflection by C.S. Lewis on this very reality. He once said this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in a ditch to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, but we shall then know that these are the same thing fully to, en- fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. And you see what he's saying, that, 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 that you won't long to share the good news of the glory and grace of God with others until you yourself are so taken up with it. But if you are taken up by the glory and grace of God, if you glorify Him by enjoying Him, then you can't keep it to yourself. You want to share it. You have to express it. You have to tell others you need this personal propellant of gladness and the glory of God in order to be concerned with the nations being glad in the glory of God. Gladness and the glory of God is not just the goal of missions, it's also the fuel for missions, and the fuel must precede the pursuit of the goal. And so in light of that, I have a few questions for us before we close. Three questions. First, are our hearts glad in the glory of God? Are our hearts glad in the glory of God? Are you finding your heart's gladness in the worship of your glorious God? And please don't misunderstand. I'm not asking you if you've had an experience like that of Brainerd or the woman he described. I'm not so concerned that you have ecstatic experiences as much as I am simply in your consistent, glad-hearted worship of the one true God, that your heart is continually satisfied in Him. I'm simply asking you, do you find God beautiful? Do you find Him lovely? Do you find Him ravishing, as Brainerd spoke of? gear boss once said that that legalism lacks the supreme sense of worship it obeys but it does not adore i'm not asking you if you have a disciplined religious life i'm not asking you if if if, if you faithfully fulfill your religious duties week in and week out i'm asking you do you adore christ does he make you glad does he make you want to sing for joy Or our hearts' gladness being found in the glory of God. And, 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 and I said, I care about this for us before I care about us growing as a going and ascending church. This must precede that. We must, our hearts must be glad in the glory of God first and foremost. And so if I may be so bold as to exhort you, fight for your hearts to be glad in the glory of God? Or to put it in the form of a question maybe, are we fighting for our hearts to be glad in God? Are we fighting for our hearts to be glad in God? Faithful pastor George Mueller once said that the, the, the first primary and great business of the Christian every single day is to make our souls happy in God. To make our souls happy in God. And he's right, but here's the thing, anyone who seeks to make their hearts happy in God day in and day out will quickly realize that we have a fight on our hands, we have a battle on our hands, we have a war on our hands. Please don't mistake, please don't make the mistake of thinking that gladness in God's glory is just this sort of natural occurrence, that it'll, it'll just drop into your lap. There might be times where that happens and those are wonderful, but, 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 But we have enemies, we have the world, we have the devil, we have our our own sin nature still attached, and so by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit, we have to war against our own sinful nature within and the world and the devil without, so that we would be filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy, as we see in Galatians 5.22, is a fruit of the Spirit. But don't think that that will just naturally be Express, look at the preceding verses in Galatians 5. There's a war. There's a war that has to be fought against our flesh and against the kingdom of darkness in order to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We must fight for joy and gladness and the glory of God. And oh my goodness, Brainerd was such an example in this. How he fought for this this personal propellant in his own life. If you read his diary, you'll see it was a daily struggle for him. And sometimes more severe than, than others. You'll, you'll note how persistent he was in prayer and how frequent he was in fasting, how disciplined he was in, in meditation upon God's word. All to fight for his soul to rest and find joy in the glory of God. So often he'll write things like this April 20, one year's birthday. Set apart this day for fasting and prayer to bow my soul before God for the d- bestowment of divine grace especially that all my spiritual afflictions and inward distresses might be sanctified to my soul and endeavored also to remember the goodness of God to me the year past this day being my birthday. Having obtained help of God, I have hitherto lived and am now arrived at the age of 25 years old. My soul was pained to think of my barrenness and deadness that I've lived so little to the glory of that eternal God. I spent the day in the woods alone and there poured out my complaint to God. Oh, that God would enable me to live for his glory for the future. See how he wrestled with God. He wrestled with himself. Now he prevailed into joy again and again and again. Do do we know anything about that? Do, 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 Do you fight to make your heart glad. And God, do you know anything of this kind of spiritual struggle, this spiritual warfare? When the Christian life gets challenging or doesn't come naturally, do you just kind of brush it off? Turn on the TV, check Facebook. And you're not feeling it in the morning. You just sleep in instead of choosing Prayer. When Sunday morning rolls around and you're you're tired from the work week or some form of entertainment or recreational activity comes up, do you just choose that instead of gathering with God's people for the worship of God? Or do you fight to make your heart glad in God? Do you pursue Him in prayer and fasting and corporate worship and Bible reading? Do you fight against your own flesh with all of its passions, and desires, do you seek with all your might to make your heart glad in God? Friends, this is important because if our church is going to be ascending and going church, we must first be a people whose hearts are glad in the glory of God, and if we are going to be a people whose hearts are glad in the glory of God, we have to fight. And this leads us to our last question, is our gladness in God propelling us to send and go. Because listen, being a going and ascending church will require us to sacrifice some things. It will require us to to sacrifice something. As a church, we very well might not have the the sort of, we might have to forego certain programs or luxuries that, that other churches enjoy. Of course, I've never seen someone who's finding their heart's gladness in the glory of God, who approaches church in a consumeristic manner, we might have to give up some things. Or as individuals or or households, we might have to forego certain possessions or comforts because we seek to give generously to the cause of missions. Or for those of us who, who end up going, realize You're going. You're going to have to make certain sacrifices. You might have to give up previously made plans or visions you had for your life. Brainerd gave up having a spouse because he felt that his task was too all-consuming for him to ask someone to join him. He lost out on jobs, land, family, and more so that he might go. And likewise, likewise, you might have to give up the job you have planned, the future you had planned, the American dream, the, the house, the car, the, the yard you envision, the life of ease and comfort. But, but, but whether we send or go, we can do it all because our gladness and joy is not found primarily in the comforts and pleasures and things of this world, but in glorifying and worshiping the triune God, and in contributing to the goal of all nations, finding their gladness and joy in the same. Brainerd's gladness led him to this very place. On one occasion, Tuesday, April 6th, he writes in his diary, he said, I walked out this morning, he's at Yale at this time, I walked out this morning to the same place where I was last night and felt as I did then, dejected, depressed, was somewhat relieved by reading some passages in my diary and seemed to feel as if I might pray to the great God again with freedom, but was suddenly struck with dejection from the sense I had of my own vileness. Then I cried to God to cleanse me from my exceeding filthiness, to give me repentance and pardon, then began to find it sweet to pray and could think of undergoing the greatest sufferings in the cause of Christ with pleasure and found myself willing, if God should so order it, to sudden banishment from my native land among the heathen that I might do something for their salvation in distresses and deaths of any kind. He goes on to write, had raised hopes today, respecting the heathen. Oh, that God would bring in great numbers of them to Jesus Christ. I cannot but hope I shall see that glorious day. Everything in this world, everything in comparison, he's saying, everything in this world in comparison seems exceedingly vile and little to me. His gladness and the glory of God compelled him, propelled him to go. The glory of God was his goal and his fuel in missions. And friends, if we're going to be ascending in a going church, it must be ours as well. We must long for the day wherein the nations will be glad and sing for joy. Our hearts must be burned by the reality that there are peoples of the earth among whom no one worships the one true God. That ought to to compel us and propel us into crying out, let the nations praise you, oh God. Let all the nations praise you. Of course, that begins with our own hearts being glad in and ravished by the beauty of Jesus Christ. That must begin with our own glad-hearted worship. Glad-hearted worship is the goal of missions, and it's the fuel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this example in Brainerd and more. We we give you thanks for the truth of your word wherein we see the goal of missions, that all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. We want all the nations of the earth to be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Your saving rule and reign has come in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to find true satisfaction and joy in it and to declare it faithfully to the nations that they might as well. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.